All right. What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Um, Andrea and I here once again, wrapping up part two of this Q&A. Now, I'm assuming, Andrea, you don't have any more updates to fill us in on in your week. <laughs> no, I don't. Cool. All right. Let's get right into the questions here. And you have like 25 minutes here, correct? Yeah, I have. Yeah, 25 minutes. Okay. Okay. First question I have for you. Um, is eating breakfast important? I'm usually not hungry in the morning. Uh, so important for what <laughs> it would be my first question to this person. Um, it's so I think that there are a lot of benefits to eating breakfast. Whenever you wake up, you, um, you're, you have your highest level of cortisol, or at least that's how your body is supposed to work is you, when you wake up, your cortisol is highest. That's what wakes you up. And then it decreases throughout the day. But if you um, eat something for breakfast, that is going to suppress that cortisol and bring it down, which is good. That's what you want. Um, if you skip breakfast and just have coffee, which is going to elevate it further, that can um, exacerbate some issues. It's like, um, you know, adrenal issues and things like that. More practically, I think that just having a good breakfast makes sure that you're not going into the rest of your day starving. Even if you don't feel like you're that hungry for breakfast, those are typically the people that will say they have a hard time not overeating at night. And it's just because they are so used to saving up all of their calories for the evening. So they go into, maybe they eat something for lunch, but then they're still like kind of in a calorie debt for the day um, so far. And so they get home from work and just feel like, you know, eating everything in the pantry. So just taking that person and having them eat breakfast, uh, that's going to mean that that first maybe two or three days, they're pretty full after breakfast and might feel a little bit uncomfortable. But then as they go later into the day, they don't have that urge to overeat, uh, maybe after dinner or after work. And then their hunger pattern kind of re um, adjusts to being hungry in the morning when they wake up. And that that is no longer an issue. It, it turns out that they weren't just not someone that's hungry in the morning. It's just that that's how their pattern had been um, cemented. So I think that um, if, if it's working really well for you, you're reaching all your goals and you feel great and there's, you know, not a lot of hunger in the morning, then there's no reason to change that up. But if you are overeating at night or getting an energy slump in the middle of the day or anything like that, it's worth trying to include something in the morning and seeing if that helps. Yeah, I fully agree. I, one of the most common trends I see on calls with new clients is, and this is just as we work with a lot of women, almost always all of our content is going to be speaking to mostly women, but a lot of women I'll hop on calls with will say like, yeah, I, I never eat in the morning and I'm hardly anything. And I still like can't get leaner. And then when we dig deeper into that, typically what it plays out to as is, um, I'm not eating anything for breakfast. I eat a very light lunch. And then, man, I'm so hungry in the evenings, exactly as you said, where it's like, hey, we're hardly eating anything throughout the day. And then you're famished by the end of the day. And then you're eating and snacking a ton in the later hours, which is enough to prevent you from losing body fat. So within that, by us just getting you more consistent and almost always as well, 
this is a scenario where that same individual is typically training in the morning, right? So, hey, we're going into where, again, like breaking down more muscle tissue, but we don't have recovery resources to repair it at the time. Um, and it's similar. And again, like from a fat loss perspective, this is suboptimal from a building muscle perspective. This is very far from suboptimal. So you're in this place where you always feel like you're hungry, but you're still struggling to lose fat because you're so hungry in the evenings that we kind of overdo it. But alongside that, you're also in this place where you always feel like you're training hard, but because we're not giving your body like fuel going into these training sessions, because we're not giving it fuel to recover until like 12 hours later, we're also struggling to build nearly as much muscle as you're capable of. So again, you kind of always feel like you're working hard, but you're not getting the results in either fact, like from either perspective. So that's kind of a vicious cycle to be stuck in. And that's just a very common scenario. Also from like a cortisol management perspective, which I do think is an important facet of like being able to, as a whole, like, especially like in a fat loss phase, just manage that overall stress on your system. I think it makes sense to, again, typically, eat a bit earlier in the day, especially if you're training, because again, that's going to elevate those levels further. And we just need to actually be able to recover and like be well feel going into our sessions because that's going to have such positive benefits for your body composition. And then if you dig into the research on like chronobiology, um, so think like your, think like, uh, your circadian rhythm and, um, like your body clock as a whole, there is actually a decent amount of research that seems to indicate that individuals who eat more earlier in the day will expend more energy throughout the day, even when calories are equated versus those that bias more calories towards the latter half of the day. Now, none of that is going to like make or break your progress. When we're talking about fat loss at the end of the day, it is going to come down to the total amount of calories you consume. Now, when we're talking about like achieving your best body composition, it will make a difference, especially like if you're training in the morning and you're not eating in the morning. Um, but uh, so I do think there are like some decently compelling arguments. It's not again, like we absolutely have to eat breakfast and it's black or white, but I think there's a lot more pros than cons for most people. Yeah. Yeah. That chrononutrition research is super interesting. And that, um, I think like came right after the period of time where everyone was intermittent fasting and so it was like the exact opposite and it just kind mm -hmm. of blew my mind. Um, you know, you get like a better glucose response in the morning, your metabolism is elevated more in response to food in the morning. And, um, yeah, it was, it was super interesting. Yeah. And that's again, like you don't, I don't think you necessarily have to take that too far to like, it's right. the gospel again. Like we have like our overall our first priority is going to be overall adherence and energy balance, but does seem like it makes a difference. As you said, again, like the blood glucose response, the same meal in the morning versus at like 2 AM, which might be a little bit later than most people are eating, but like <laughs> late in the evening, it is still going to be different. Our energy expenditure throughout the day is still going to be different. And then when we factor in what's going on in your life, it does still make a difference. Cool. All right. Um, next up, do you still log food in the building phase? Or is logging everything the end goal? They might admit is not logging everything the end goal there. Um, all right. So when it comes to logging food, I think we kind of have this spectrum. If you look at it as like, if you are choosing to log, and I'll say like the clients that we work with, at least for the starting period, we do require to track their food. Um, 
I think if we have like a spectrum of times that's most important to least important to log, a fat loss phase is going to be the time where it's going to be most important for us to log the food. Building phase, and I would say like a reverse diet as well. Um, then we have a building phase and then we have like a maintenance phase. So really what I'll say is like in fat loss, it's again, unless we have like in fat loss, you still are going to have to track something for most people to lose body fat, unless you just have like such good habits, such dialed in routines that it's like, I eat this every day. So, Hey, let's just subtract like the carbs you normally eat from lunch, or let's subtract this fat source outside of that, which very few people have that we need to track now in a building phase. Similarly, like I think a maintenance phase is a time where maintenance is such a wide range and it's much easier for us to maintain than it is for us to build tissue or it is for us to lose fat. So I think like a maintenance phase is a time where if you want to take some time away from tracking, I think it's very appropriate to do so, right? And this can be like interspersed into building phases. This can sometimes be interspersed into diet phases, but like it's very, it's relatively easy for us to just maintain, focus on like, hey, we've already built these solid habits through tracking. So now we can see maintain relatively easily. Um, just focusing on hunger cues, focusing on making sure you're eating like a decent sized serving of protein, like three to four times per day, making sure we're eating plenty of fruits and veg, et cetera. And then just kind of auditing how body weight is shifting. But really, I think a mistake a lot of people make in a building phase is not tracking. Um, I'll say like the another very common scenario with new clients is people coming on board and like my last building phase didn't go very well. I didn't track. I kind of just ate intuitively during that time. Right. Where again, like, and it's almost always, that's the scenario where either a, I just under, it seems like I just under ate the entire time, or I gained a lot more fat than muscle tissue. Right. Because it's important to understand, like for us to productively build and go about it in a quote unquote lean gains manner, we don't need a very large deficit. Right. So within that, honestly, I think for most people to like keep a building phase relatively dialed in and prevent excess fat gain, because otherwise it can, it can kind of easily turn into just like giving yourself permission to just like eat whatever to make sure you get plenty of calories. And often it's pretty easy to rationalize eating way more than you actually need. Um, so within that, but it's like a fine line we're walking where we want to make sure we're feeding enough without like a seeing rate of gain creep up too quickly. And also again, like when we're looking at like, are you getting an adequate protein, especially if you're not very experienced with this, I think like the more experienced you are, the better you would be able to do a building phase intuitively. But if it's like your first one to two building phases, especially even I think about like Jeff Hain, client of mine, what we've been working together for like two and a half years now. And he had a, he's had a couple very productive building phases in our work together. Um, and one of the biggest differences for him, we've talked about this over and over is the fact that we actually had him tracking during this time, right? And he's a coach himself. He's been resistance, super jacked, been resistance training for forever. But I think again, like making sure you're getting adequate protein, making sure you're getting adequate carbohydrates, making sure we're not constantly like, because I also think if we're not tracking in the building phase, it's very easy for us to have, like, we're dipping back and forth between these days of very, very high calorie intake. Like we're well exceeding the amount of calories we need. And then we're dipping into a deficit on other days, right? And those high calorie days. Yeah. We'll be in a more anabolic state, but we're going to add a little bit more fat tissue on those deficit days. We're going to be in the state where muscle protein synthesis, the rate of muscle protein synthesis is suppressed. The rate of muscle protein breakdown is increased. So we're just going to be suboptimal for building. So I really think for most people, at least your first couple of building phases, tracking is still a good idea. Um, because it allows you to just get a lot more out of the phase. And then I, again, I think like maintenance phase and like within that we'll still introduce like 
untracked meals. For some clients, I uh, will still introduce like untracked days in a building phase because there is still more leeway there and we're just making sure you're eating enough. But I think like as for most of your week, I still think tracking in a building phase is a good idea. Yeah. Anytime you're pushing the envelope one way or the other, like you're, uh, unless you are um, like maybe someone who's chronically dieted or something like that, and you have weird hunger hormones, your body wants you at homeostasis. So that's why the easiest time to not track is going to be when you're just maintaining because you can just, you know, kind of go off your hunger cues, eat similar foods to what you normally eat and you'll just maintain. But if you're trying to push the envelope in either direction, fat loss or gaining, uh, you get a little bit more feedback from your body that's telling you like, hey, let's not do this. So um, if you don't track, then you can kind of end up just going more towards the middle because that's you know the signal that your body is sending you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's like one of the biggest, I think like people look at, sometimes look at tracking as like, we only use it for fat loss. And again, it's up to you to make that decision. Right. Um, but I would say to get the most out of a building phase, it's definitely something I would recommend for most. Okay. Favorite movements to program for clients new to strength training. This one's for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, new to strength training. I, Okay, so the major movement patterns are going to be squat, hinge, push, and pull. Um, so for squat, I would I really like a split squat. It's a little bit regressed from a rear foot elevated split squat because you have two feet on the floor, but you still can handle a little bit lighter weight with a split squat and um, get a really good stimulus on either your quads or your glutes that way, depending on how you set up. So I really like that one, um, for hinging, I still really like an RDL for pretty much anybody. And, you know, as long as we can get form videos and make sure that everything looks good there, I'll, I'll always program that one. Um, a hip thrust is another one just because you can, you can really, you know, especially if you have access to like a Smith machine, it's pretty much just like plug in and go. You don't have to do too much to mess it up. Um, so that one is another one for pressing. Um, you know, if they have access to a seated chest press, that's a great one. Um, otherwise I feel like a, a dumbbell press is not going to be that hard to coach someone new Mm -hmm. into. So I'll still use that one quite a bit and an overhead press as well. Um, and then for pulling, I really like a cable row because you can just put your feet up against the foot plate and grab the handles and pull it, There's again, like not really too much to mess up on that one. And, um, really like an upper back pull down as well for the, for the, um, the other pulling movement. So a seated cable row is going to be much more for lats because you're keeping your elbows tucked in closer. Whereas an upper back pull down is going to be more like rhomboids and rear delts. And, um, how you would perform a seated or a, um, an upper back pull down is really how most people in a commercial gym are going to do 
just a lat pull down. <laughs> so it's not um, too difficult of a movement either. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're very much on the same page here with which I would expect with essentially with clients that are new to training, really what we want to focus on is how can we put them in a position? How can we select a movement that they can just load up and execute and push themselves without having to think too much about technique where like there's not a lot that could go wrong if they don't like set this up perfectly. Right. Which I, that's like very much kind of what you're saying here as well. So that's where like, yeah, that's a nice way of saying not mess it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Where it's like, how can we just put you in a position to be successful and just push yourself and get like the tension and the stimulus that we want without you having to think too hard about it. Right. So if we like right away, we're starting a client with like, Hey, we're going to do this rear foot front heel elevated split squat. I really want you to stay upright and focus on driving your knee forward. It's just like, what? Like it can right away make it seem a little bit more daunting. Not that people can't handle that, but it's like, I like to focus on progressing. Like first, let's start building a solid foundation of these basic movement patterns. And then we'll add in progressions over the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months as you get more advanced. But I really like, like um, for lower body, I really like a leg press. I think a leg press is great. Again, we're very stable. Literally all we have to do is, Hey, put your feet at about this point on the foot plate if we're trying to buy a squat let's go like towards the lower half of the foot plate um and then try to get as much even as you can without your butt leaving the pad and just push cool we're gonna get a great quad stimulus a great glute stimulus the client doesn't have to overthink it um i like this i like the split squat with both feet like level as well similar to what you said i like the i like the smith machine quite a bit i like a smith machine reverse lunge um great more glute bias movement and I think a dumbbell reverse lunge is solid as well, but I really like here, like it's the Smith machine makes things a lot more stable. So again, the client can just really execute. And that's typically one that's pretty easy to master. I'm, as you said, I'm almost always still going to work in an RDL variation there as well. I like a dumbbell RDL to start typically. Um, I found that most people can really master because that, that hinge pattern, the RDL pattern can typically be the trickiest one. I think dumbbells aren't quite as, the trap bar, there's going to be a lot more variance. Like whether I like a trap bar in theory, it's stable and also allows for a little bit better, like more free movement versus like a barbell RDL. But the thing is like for a lot of people, the trap bar will just be too wide. Like the handles will be set too wide and it'll be a little bit harder. So I really like a dumbbell RDL to start before like maybe we progress it. Maybe we just keep rocking with a dumbbell RDL, but maybe we would like eventually progress to like a barbell RDL. But I really think with a barbell RDL, it's a lot more likely that somebody's going to just like be leaning forward too more too much because especially like if the bar is scraping across your shins, it can be a little bit harder to hinge quite the way we want. Um, then for upper body. Yeah. Like, as you said, for presses, I do like, like a solid machine chest press if it's available, but most people really don't have any problem mastering like an incline press specifically is a great place to start. And then for pulling patterns, as you said, I really like a seated cable row. Um, as that can be a great lap bias pattern. Basically, we just like we'll like, hey, use like a narrower handle or use a handle that's about shoulder width, drive your or use two D handles, drive your elbows low to the hips, right? And again, we'll essentially get the stimulus we want. I also really like a mid-neutral grip lap pull down. So there, like right now on Instagram, there's so many different variations of lap pull downs, but I don't want someone who's like brand new to this to quite yet be thinking about like, okay, am I really doing the best job targeting the iliac division of my lat? And do I feel like 
that I'm doing a good job, like lengthening that position. I just want you to be able to load it up and pull. So rather than doing like a single arm bench supported lat pull down, I really like just a, a mid neutral grip. So again, grab the handle or you can loop D handles over the lat pull down bar, set that up to about shoulder width. And again, try not to arch your back too much, drive your elbows lower to the hips, right? That's another great option. But yeah, I think we're on a very much the same page there where I also think the hack squat's a good one, depending on the client, because that's a great way for us to emulate low. It's for, for most people, like for hypertrophy, it's going to be superior to like a barbell back squat, but it's very stable. Naturally, it's going to encourage a lot of inflection. So again, it's basically just like, Hey, push your feet at about this point. We of course want to see form videos, but try to basically go to the point where your hamstrings are very close to your calves. Um, keep your back against the pad push yourself. Right. So I think like the trend there across the board is just like selecting relatively stable movements. And again, trying to choose things where at the start clients don't have to think too much about all the nuances until they kind of master again, this foundational level. And then over the next few months, you can start to introduce like more and more nuance, but then like, okay, now we want to make this tweak to bias quads a little bit more. Now I want to make this tweak to bias glutes a little bit more. Any other thoughts on that? No, I really like all of those. I use that mid neutral grip pull down a lot too. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that one. Cool. All right. Well, I know you have to hop on a call here, so we will wrap this one up here, but as always, thank you all for tuning in and we will catch you guys next time.